Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast. I'm your host, Manuel Veit, and yes, with Stefan Bianchowski away on his much-deserved honeymoon, we brought back Chris Williams. Chris, how's it going? Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me back. And uh, yeah, congratulations to Stefan. Um, I don't think he's... His new wife would have been too happy if he dialed in to speak to you, would she? No, I think uh, we would have all gotten in trouble if she did. Most, <laughs> you don't want to get married and have uh, a crisis within the first week. So, yeah, glad that you were able to make it. At some point, though, Chris, we should try to get a full house with the three of us. Yeah, we should. And I think, yeah, it's been quite difficult, hasn't it? We've all been away on, I've had a late holiday myself and obviously Stefan's on his honeymoon now and you're mm. mega busy. But yeah, I'm sure that'll happen soon. Yeah, it's it's been nice too. Like I've been actually away this this weekend. For me, like, deadline day happens right on September 1st. It's a very long day and then I shut the laptop off and I don't do anything for 48 hours on the computer. Um, that was really nice. How did you experience deadline day, Chris? Is that anything that involves you at FootMob at uh, all? Absolutely not, thankfully. So I oh. um, flew to Tenerife on the 30th of August. <laughs> um, sorry, on the 29th of August and just spent the week there. So um, I think I went on Twitter twice. That was about it. Wow, that's nice. <laughs> I'm really, really, really jealous. Uh, yeah, it's always a really messy day. Very long day and... Um, when it finally does end, it's it's a, cele- a celebration for me. I popped a bottle of champagne, shut the laptop, put everything away for 48 hours. It was really nice. But yeah, back at the at the Gegen Pressing podcast. Um, and I think we have quite a bit to discuss. So let's do that after this break. This episode of the Gegen Pressing podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports, contests, and events with first to market odds and lines. Find reviews and news for every league, including Major League Baseball, NFL, NBA, NHL, combat sports, esports, and even golf. BetOnline continues to be the top online resource for all your sports information from live in-game betting, props, and futures. Head to BetOnline today or use your mobile device to join today and make your first sports bet. Use our promo code BELIEVE50, B-L-E-A-V-50, BELIEVE50, to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, where the game starts. So yeah, Chris, where to start? I mean, this has been a weekend of surprises, and should we start, let's start at the very top with probably the most fascinating thing that's going on in this league. And that's Bayern Munich heavily testing out Michael Cox's theory of going down 1-0 or giving their opponent a goal and see how they go on after that. Um, They drop points again. Yeah, thankfully. And I know there'll be a lot of Bayern fans will be like, what? They can't be so biased. I don't think anyone has any bias on this podcast. We're just sick to death of seeing the same people win the league year in, year out, year in, year out. Um, 
I mean, Bayern look great and they, you know, brilliant manager, or sorry, brilliant coach, great um, roster of players, fantastic signings they've made over the summer. Um, but it's nice to see them challenged. And yeah, Union Berlin, we're always going to challenge them. The start they've had, uh, unbelievable club, top to bottom. You can't give them enough credit. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, it's been a remarkable start by Union Berlin. Uh, what I think is really funny about this whole Bayern discussion and them scoring one goal against Gladbach and one goal against Union Berlin. And meanwhile, uh, Robert Lewandowski scoring bucket goals of goals in, in Spain. Um, it's this debate. and I mean, this debate was always going to come, right? I mean, we all knew at one point of the season they were going to ask this question. Do Bayern need a number nine? <laughs> and I, I don't know how you see it, but I, I'm laughing a little bit about it because you have so many attacking options. Uh, Sadio Mane would have probably already been in double digits if he would just time his run a slightly bit better. I, I, I think it's a bit too early to start discussing Robert Lewandowski's absence. What do you think? What do you make of that? Yeah, everybody knew that the amount of goals he scored over the time he's been there. In fact, the amount of goals he scored, you know, since he's been in the Bundesliga and lobbed mm. Dortmund into that as well. He was always going to be a massive hole in that side. You can't just plug in. You can't instantly plug 31 goals a season and or 30 plus. Well, you can. You just go out and buy Erling Haaland, but Manchester City have done that. Um, but there was always going to be how to buy and cope with that. And early on, especially that game against Frankfurt, it looked like actually they wouldn't miss him because you're quite right. They've got so many forward-minded players, not just attackers, yeah. but players who can play out on the wing. Obviously, Sane, um, Coleman, Gnabry, he's got Thomas uh, Muller there. Musiala can even play more advanced and get goals. Obviously, Sadio Mane's come in. Chupa um, Moting still there. It's just finding the right combination um, because they've always looked to one person and now they're trying to fill that gap with three, four, five different people and it's going to take some time. Um, but I don't think they should be going out and panic buying in January a, a striker. I think they've got all the goals they need there. Um, Nagelsmann just needs to work out how to get you know, the best out of those three, four, five different forward players he can put on the field. Um, looks like they're going to play that 4 2 three, one, and Mane is going to be the spearhead. He mm. can do that because um, he can drift out left or right. And obviously then the other players can, can come on the inside and it's a, it's a multiple threat for them. He's just trying to figure that out um, because it was just get the ball to Robert Lewandowski and he'll score. Now it's how do we work those between, in essence, the, the, the four forward players? How do they work that out for them to get goals? Once they come across that and they nail it completely, um, I think they'll be mm. back to scoring four or five a week. Yeah, I, I find the whole debate interesting um, because it's obviously something that was a big part of the the, the preseason, right? Um, it was Robert, Robert Lewandowski this, Robert Lewandowski that. Um, now, of course, he's scoring goals in Spain. And I, I feel that when the season first started, it was, oh, wow, they're so much harder to play against now. They have so many different scorers. And it's just... I think what I was trying to say is the debate of Bayern Munich is always borderline hilarious because it's either amazing or terrible. Is this something that I just feel is is going on here? Because honestly, just two weeks ago before the Gladbach game, we were talking about how they had like eight different scorers, how it's now spread across different shoulders. And all of a sudden now with two goals and just two games, it's the opposite. 
is this is this is is this just FC Hollywood playing its way out? Yeah, thank you. Is this yeah. yeah? Yeah, it's definitely because they've drawn a couple of games on the bounce, and we're just not used to buying doing that. We're used to like if they get a shock defeat, they go out and win mm. the next week. And I'm not a fan of draws at all. I'd rather lose one and win one than draw two because yeah. obviously you're a point down anyway, aren't you? And those draws also give sort of a false mindset oh we haven't been beaten yet well if you'd just mm. been beaten and then won you would have got more points so i think people do look at it and be like oh Bayern have, have not they've not won for two games on the row have they now got a problem because they haven't been able to replace robert Lewandowski? i mean we're only talking about 180 minutes of football where they've you know failed to score more than one goal which for most teams score one goal a match <laughs> that's not bad um but it's because it's Bayern. um at some point i do think it's going to click and when it does click and when sadio mane just times those runs a little better. And I, I think I've told you before, as a Liverpool fan, I've seen that for years. Yeah. Um, but when he gets that completely right, um, he is a top-notch player and he's surrounded by real attacking players. Um, so they're going to be a frightening force, not just in the league, but I think as the Champions League starts as well, they're going to be one mm. of the, the fancied favourites. Um, but I think we should just enjoy it at the moment with, with two teams above them and one breathing down their neck. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is exactly what we want. We want an even field. And the more times they drop points, the more interesting the league is. And this is not an anti-Bayern bias. This is just us wanting to have a competitive league. And if it takes Michael Cox's theory of having them having to go a goal down early, well, so be it. Um, they're up, of course, next against Inter Milan uh, midweek in the Champions League. And then Stuttgart next week, which is um, a match we're going to preview uh, in the next show. But I want to go to the team that is now on top of them. Um, well, actually, there's two of them, as you said, but the one that we kind of been pretty harsh towards, um, and this is Borussia Dortmund, who have lost the game, but are still ahead of Bayern Munich, because as you said, if you drop points twice, you actually end up doing worse than rather than just losing one. It's a one out of one of these one nil easy performances, isn't it? Like where you just say, okay, well, they kind of grounded out a result uh, against a very good Hoffenheim side. With Terzic, it's it's hard to be convinced at times, but at the same time, being critical of him while he's getting the results, I can see why people are saying, well, you guys are being critical of him, but they're second. Sharing first place with Freiburg ahead of Bayern Munich at the moment. What do you make of all of this? Yeah, yeah, no, they've won a couple of games 1 0. In fact, it's their third 1 0 victory of the season. But you win yeah. 34 games 1 0, um, then, then you win the league. <laughs> yeah. sim- simple as that. Um, I think people may be critical because we're used to Dortmund playing exciting football, but against right. Hoffenheim, I was in the stadium once where I think they were leading, was it 3-0 and they drew 3-3? It was a couple of seasons ago yep. now. Um, yeah. That is, that is Dortmund at their very most Dortmundish, superb, and then calamity for a bit. I'm pretty sure you ask any Dortmund fan, do you want to go 3-0 up to Hoffenheim and then draw mm. 3-3? Or do you want to win 1-0 and see a game out? It's all about game management. It looks like they're starting to get that a little bit under um, Edin Turgic again. Um I think the Werder Bremen result was that's the sort of result you used to see against Hoffenheim um, Mm. where they would get themselves into an area of dominance and then just throw it away. Um, Looking at their opening five games, that seems to be the anomaly. Um, 
you know, they've ground out an, an opening day win against Bayer Leverkusen. I thought they were very good against Freiburg. There's a question mark over, um, I think it was a third goal, but they were still winning at that point. Um, then comes the massive slip after Werder Bremen, which could have knocked the confidence out of them, but they've gone on and scored, you know, two goals, <laughs> a little bit like Bayern. They scored two goals in 180 minutes of play, but they've won both their games. Yeah. Um, you can't really complain about that too much. You know, we did a lot of times, Manu, a few years ago mm. when I know someone we're going to speak about in a bit. Um, Dominic Tedesco was, or Dominico Tedesco was at Schalke. It was yeah. 1-0, 1-1, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-0, 1-1. It was very boring football. Um, I don't think Dortmund suffer from that. They're just learning to grind out wins at the moment. Um, they've got some mm. really big games coming up as well. So, if they can get to the middle of October when they play Stuttgart and they could have seen off Schalke, FC Köln, Bayern Munich and Union Berlin, if they can see all of them off by 1-0, they'll be in a really strong position. Um, yeah. But comes a question mark with Dortmund. Are we going to see a Werder Bremen performance at some point? Yes, probably. That's just the mm. nature of them because they love the style of football they play. I think Edin Terzic is trying to change that, um, but it doesn't happen overnight. Mm. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't want to date uh, the podcast too much, so we're not going to go into the Champions League games um, that they have in depth. Um, I did write a huge uh, game-pressing newsletter for it where I, I broke down every single German group uh, in the Champions League, Europa League, and Conference League. So if you want more in-depth information on that, go there, please. But um, they do have a potential banana skin come up midweek against Copenhagen. I have that noted down as a must-win game in that Champions League group, right? This is not the opponent that you can slip up points. But then, Chris, and you've already alluded to Domenico Tedesco, next week is a massive game for RB Leipzig against Dortmund. Um, Stefan Buschko, who's a friend of this podcast, cheekily tweeted out that Dortmund can be 10, point, 10 points clear of, <laughs> of Leipzig if they win this game. Um, 4-0 defeat to Frankfurt I, I mean I had that game down as a difficult one for Leipzig but 4-0 did you see this coming and then how much trouble do you think Tedesco is in because I think this is the sort of start that Jesse Marsh had last year and the question started to come right and it's not like Leipzig didn't invest this summer uh, quite the contrary and they, they signed Nkunku to a new long term contract without an exit clause they've done a lot of things to not only keep the side together, but make it better. And I think the expectations from Fuschlamsee is that the results this year will be better than last year's, and it's just as bad of a start. Yeah, it's been a terrible start. If you look at you know who they dropped points to, those opening two yeah. games, two draws, awful really. Um, Stuttgart and FC Köln, no disrespect to either of those sides, but you'd expect Leipzig with the backing they've got to improve on that. Mm -hmm. Union Berlin is a bit of an anomaly because we've already spoken about how good they are at the moment. Yep. But the result against, okay, they've won against Wolfsburg, but the result against Frankfurt is really eye-opening for me. It, it's almost mm -hmm. like that Jesse Marsh season when everybody thought, actually, this is going to be really good, and they weren't. Um, this is a turning point. I, I genuinely thought we could have been talking about maybe him going um, today as we record this, but but not, I yep. think you probably give a little bit of a stay of execution. Um, they've got a, it should be a winnable Champions League match this week. And then, well, this, this midweek, and then they have got two big fixtures against the Borussia's coming up. Um, anything apart from six points from six there, I think might be an issue for them because 
it's just the way they're playing. I, before this podcast started, I, I chatted to you, Manny, mm. about what yep. what is not the philosophy of, of Leipzig, but what is the style of Leipzig? If they lose the ball, a very quick in transition to win it back. Um, you, there was a few instances in that game against Frankfurt where they lost the ball high up um, and they weren't able to turn it around quickly, which is something they used to be able to do. Um, their marking for the first goal especially is horrific. You could have driven a mm. bus through the gaps in there. Um, and yeah, it's um, it's very, very poor at the moment. Um, a little like it was at the start of last season, which seems a very long time ago now, but mm. maybe history's repeating itself a bit. But for who they are, for for the expectations they've got from themselves, for the backing that they've got financially, uh, one win from your opening five fixtures, I don't think is good enough for a Champions League side and a side that wants to not just challenge for the title, but to be in the top two every single season. Yeah, for me, it's the it's the statements that they made off the pitch that suggests to me that if these results don't turn around quickly, Dominico Tedesco could be in a lot of trouble. I mean, they went out and signed David Raum. He was, you know, in demand by Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund. They beat both those teams out. They did bring back Timo Werner, right? Um, then they signed Nkunku to a new long-term contract, as I mentioned already. On deadline day, they got an or the day before deadline day, and this this is true. The story is one hundred percent correct. They got a ninety million euro offer for Josko Guardiol from Chelsea. Not only did they turn down that offer, but they also signed Guardiol to a new long term contract after that. So this is this is a lot of money that was put into this team, and then AWS has this really wonderful tool on um, the Bundesliga app, which both of us used quite frequently right and you look at the average positions on this team and this is something that kind of reminded me of of the Tedesco Schalke's second year remember when he tried to put in more of a creative structure it seemed like last year he came in he fixed Marsh's defensive issues just like when he came into Schalke and he gave them a defensive structure but then the moment he tries to add spice to the mix he's almost getting the chemistry wrong and it's almost like this Leipzig side is now trying to gear up and tool up to be a more creative attacking side. And it's just not working, as you mentioned, right? The transition is wrong. But when you look at the average positioning, it all seems to be bunched up in, in one space. It's like the spacing is all wrong as well. Yeah, and that was uh, a trouble they had at Schalke. I remember yeah. going to the Manchester City game they had um, where they were absolutely battered at the Etihad. Um, and... The, they were just they were taken apart by City on the width, on width ways, so the, the mm-hmm. wide play tore them apart because they were bunched up and then they expanded and the spaces were left in the middle that City exploited. Um, so it doesn't look that good. I think Dominico Tedesco is a good manager or a good head mm-hmm. coach. I don't know if he's suited to big expectations. When he went into Schalke, there's an expectation to take them back into those Champions League areas, into those Champions League slots and to be consistently in the Champions League. Um, and once they got in, wasn't particularly good. And I do think that second season, sorry, the, the season where they finished second, I, I think that was because a lot of teams around them were actually quite poor that season. So they benefited from yeah. that. Um, and yeah, I I don't know if, Leipzig's a good fit for him. I was really surprised, Manu, when 
he went there originally because mm. his style of tactics didn't really fit for me for with what how I think Leipzig play football. The, the two don't meet very well. And I think now we, we might be seeing that. Um, he went mm. in and he rescued a job that Jesse Marsh had started poorly. Um, obviously, they then went on and won the Pokal. So he has got the ability to lead a team. But I think from the outset, when the expectation is set at the, the early season, I don't know if he's ready for or I don't know if he's capable of a top four mm. team. I think he's ready for it because he's been coaching for a long time. But I, I don't know if he's got the ability or as a tactical nous to take um, a side into fourth consistently, which is obviously the very, very mm-hmm. minimum expectation. Yeah, and I think this is a huge test for him. I mean, he's now in a second job in, in the Bundesliga, right? Um, and for the second time, he has to overcome that second-year hump. Because at Schalke, as you said, he had a great first season. And I agree with you, a lot of it had to do with the teams around him kind of stumbling all over the place. Um, that 4-0 to 4-4 result against Dortmund comes to mind, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but like, this is a real test for him and his young career because I do think he's a really, really talented coach, especially when it comes to defensive coaching. For me, I think he's always struggled to turn that defensive stability into a an attractive style of football. Right, and this is the expectation now, and I think for, this is this is where where for him this is the big test, right? Yeah, definitely. I, I would put him. And this is no disrespect to any of these sides, but I think at the moment you've got Bayern who are out there on their own. Then you've got mm. Dortmund. Um, you've got Dortmund, Leipzig, and then I think they're out there on their own. And after that, you've got the likes of Borussia Mönchengladbach, etc. Yep. Um, I would think he he's somewhere fits into a side like Werder Bremen or Stuttgart or Hertha. Um, I don't even think his style fits with the expectation of the football like he could, that would be in Cologne. So if he's at FC Kern, I don't think he would last particularly long because they have a, a very descriptive way of playing normally and it's, mm. it matches the stadium atmosphere. Um, but I, yeah, I'd have him somewhere like a Bremen or Stuttgart or Hertha. Um, that's where I would think he is suited. Um, mm. certainly not for a high transition, fast turnover style of football that you would expect from RB Leipzig. There's a little bit of a firefighter almost that he rescues big clubs, but then he can't progress them. Uh, it's going to be fascinating to see. I mean, this is, as I said, the next few games are going to be important. They're midweek against Shakhtar Donetsk. Uh, I think a, a game that they have to win if they want to have a good time in that group. Um from one manager who's in trouble, and I fall into this trap every year, Chris. You've known me long enough to know that what's coming next. Bayer Leverkusen, I thought, based on where they were last year, they looked incredibly good last year. And um, they managed to hang on to Musa Diaby. They managed to hang on to Patrick Schick. And they had a terrible start. Um, our friend Derek Ray actually tweeted the stat out. Um, it's the worst start after five games in 40 years since the 1982-1983 campaign where they were coached by Detmar Kramer. I mean, okay, no one expected Leverkusen to win the German championship. You'd be a fool to think that. Even I know that. But we're all expecting them to do quite well this year. Yeah, they should be um, a top four contingent. Obviously, at the moment, they're not there. Uh, way, way down the league. Um, yeah. 
another team that seemingly can't defend at the moment. They're they're having trouble scoring as well. If you look at where their goals are coming from, um, mm. there's no out and out top scorer such. You know, we're only five match days in, but the goals are, are pretty thin on the ground. Um, they do have the squad capable of of certainly challenging for those top four. I know they've got some injuries at the moment, but they've brought in Callum Hudson-Odoi from Chelsea, I think has been waiting for his chance in the Bundesliga for a few seasons. Um, if you look at all their areas, they have got some good defenders. They've got central midfield area. They're heavily stacked in those central midfield areas. Um, and the brand of football they play is out wide and they've got exciting wingers as well. Um, so yeah, their whole campaign so far uh, has been pretty poor. Um, I don't know how much there is of the hangovers we've had from the last two years of really disruptive seasons. We've had a condensed preseason in order to Mm. accommodate this crazy, um, winter world cup. Um, so I don't know how many of these players are struggling. Some of these players, not only did they finish the Bundesliga at the back end of last season, they then went on international duty for a, a couple of uh, a couple of games. I think by Leverkusen even went to Mexico and played after the end of the season. Um, mm-hmm. Not the strange decision for me. Um, and it's reflected in the start they've had. It's a, a very, very poor start because they've not just been, I thought, although they, they're only narrowly beaten by Dortmund, I didn't really think they set the world on fire, but to be comprehensively beaten by the likes of Hoffenheim, who Hoffenheim have had a good few seasons, a good few years, but they're falling back into that um, top eight and above, somewhere between fourth and eighth. They're not a side that mm. should really be threatening by Leverkusen, um, not with the players they've got. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a really challenging time for them. Um, they've got some big fixtures coming up again. I think mean, all teams have got massive fixtures coming up, but... They've got some fixtures that they are more likely to win. I had them down in my foot mob column for the 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 team, the three sides who aren't doing particularly well at the moment, Dortmund, who weren't doing well when I rotate Dortmund, Leipzig and Leverkusen. Mm. Leverkusen have got the more winnable set of fixtures. So if we get to the end of September, start of October, and they haven't done particularly well, then again, you know, they could be looking at change in the dugout. Yeah, I, I think that that match against Club Bruges midweek, that's another... I mean, <laughs> it's funny because of all the Bundesliga teams, um, they all seem to have... They, they all seem to start with the, the easier opponent in the, in the Champions League, right? Um, Dortmund, obviously, Copenhagen, Leipzig have Schachter, Donetsk. Okay, Frankfurt have Sporting Lisbon, but you know they won their game 4-0 against Leipzig, so maybe they... <laughs> Maybe they are capable of much more than we all expected. But Leverkusen have Bruges. And again, this is a game where I think they need to win. But if they don't, you add to this misery that already exists at Leverkusen at the moment. For me, the, the big red flag was... And it's funny that you mentioned the Dortmund game. I actually thought this was one of the better games. But the big red flag for me was when they lost that first uh, round in the, the Pokal against mm-hmm. Elversberg, yeah. right? And you already, okay, well, it can happen. We see it. Uh, the Bundesliga teams are disadvantaged that the Bundesliga season starts later than the, the, the second and the third division and the fourth division. But still, like, you would expect them to have won that game. And it seems like they never really got started after that. No, and you can't even argue that um, for 
for some countries um, and some competitions, the cup competitions, they maybe play a sort of a second string. They had a lot of yep. really top players in there who um, I know maybe they didn't have as, as many as you would expect, probably because he's still coming back from preseason. But if you look at their midfield and attack as well, you know, as well as their defense and of course a goalkeeper, they that was a strong side. You'd expect it to obviously walk that match um, and not, the way it did. Obviously, it could have been um, a lot more embarrassing had Schick not scored late on in that game. They'd have been beaten four-two. They were, yeah, they were really poor, um, and I don't think they've they've recovered from that um, embarrassment. And they could be stumbling into an, another embarrassing situation in a cup competition. And this is one that they enjoy being in. Manu, both both of us um, were invited over to see them play against Juventus and. The Champions League mm-hmm. means a lot to the club, to the hierarchy of the club as well. So they want to start on a good footing um, and it's it's not been the best. All the highlights I've seen and the, and the matches I've seen live this season, whenever they pan round to the likes of Rudy Voller, he doesn't look happy throughout the whole game <laughs> and that's never a good sign. He is supposed to be just a consultant, but both of us know that <laughs> he <laughs> that he is probably a lot more influenced than uh, the likes of Simon Rolfes want. Uh, final one for me, for you, and I, I, I'm curious, and I think people who follow me know, um, and I mean, have written about this particular transfer, um, both on Gegenpressing and on Transfermarkt as well. Callum Hudson Odoi. After all these years, Chris. <laughs> I mean, this this transfer saga is as old as this podcast. <laughs> it's wrong, finally yeah, in Germany. <laughs> I mean, he's been linked many, many times with Bayern. Um, he was linked many, many times with Bayern. And finally, he ends up uh, with Bayer Leverkusen. I mean, <laughs> did you see this coming? And what do you make of this deal? Yes, it's a strange one. Um, obviously... He wanted to go to Bayern. Bayern wanted him. He tried to get out, didn't he? A couple of seasons ago. It wasn't that long ago. I think it was mm. the season prior to COVID. So 18, 19, 19, 20. They're the, they're the times when he yeah. really wanted to get out. Um, it was really close to going on that January transfer window of the 1920 season, just before you know the world stopped. Um, but mm. yeah, he comes off that. It's a Jaden Sancho effect, isn't it? All clubs yep. wanted that speedy um, English winger because they saw of, of what was happening. And it wasn't just a one-off. Um, it, for some reason, England have produced a lot of very good wingers, both right and left-sided wingers. Um, and the Germans seem to be unable to replicate that. Um, so they, they looked at the English, all the English clubs, the English under 21, the English 23 clubs, and they found the likes of Sancho, et cetera. And Callum Hudson-Odoi fitted into that um, perfectly mm-hmm. for Bayern. Um, yeah, it's been, I think it's a disappointing time. He's had a disappointing time. He wanted to leave. Then he was promised, I think, under Frank Lampard, he would play more of a part, and then he never did. Um, mm-hmm. So I think the move is quite right for him. Um Maybe he's got one eye on if I do quite well at Bayer Leverkusen. Maybe Bayern will come back in for me. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Um, but yeah, he should bring a little bit of versatility to Bayer Leverkusen because you, you know, you'll know as, as well as people listen to this podcast, he's not just that right-sided winger. He can play. Um, he can play on the opposite side on the left, and he can also play more as a second striker or a high 
a midfielder on a diamond. He can play that. Um, but he would be someone who would expect to do very well at, um, at Leverkusen because of their ability to nurture talent and develop talent um, that we've seen throughout mm-hmm. the years. Um, unfortunately for him, he may have just joined at completely the wrong time. Um, mm. But if they can get it together, I think um, Hudson Odoi could could fly um, a little bit like graded for a bit um, before obviously he moved on. So yeah, it's going to be one. It's going to he will be one to watch um, as long as Leverkusen can start getting their play right on the pitch. I think he shouldn't have an issue adapting to German football. I think he's he's ready made for it for what the Bundesliga expects from a wide English player. He fits all the bill. Yeah, I, I think I'm just for me. I'm just curious about how his Achilles tendon injury, you know, because that was one of the big topics, wasn't it? When during the transfer saga, because yeah, I think he got hurt and then Bayern Munich, remember that they flew him to, to Munich for an unsanctioned medical examination to check out what the Achilles, he, how the Achilles heel was going to heal. Um, Chelsea, very unhappy about that, of course, but that is so, that's a question that I have up to this day. Is like, is that still impacting him? And I mean, yes, at Leverkusen now he has he has that opportunity to to essentially get his fitness back and and become the player that we all hoped he would become, right? But it's a big it's a big opportunity for him. It's a big opportunity for a club. But I think it's also one where maybe that's his last opportunity at that level. What do you make of that? Yeah, I think he would do. If you look at the amount of games he's played for Chelsea, it's not particularly that much um, over over the whole course. If you think of how many games that clubs in England play, yeah. not really hit that 30 mark, which is the minimum expectation. Of, if your club's playing in um, four or five competitions, that is you know, what you should be looking for. Um, yeah, it, probably concerning more that last season I don't think he had a particularly good time when he was given his opportunity at Chelsea did he really take it it's probably one you can debate all night um but for Bayer Leverkusen he does have you know he's got top league experience he'll bring in there he's got Champions League experience as well um you know he's, he's got cup experience which will add to that Champions League element that they need um and if you look where he's played throughout his whole career he can play any in that final third can play anywhere um which will give them options should they need it um but i I, yeah you you are right i don't i think if he if he fails at leverkusen if he doesn't make a mark and and his his loan just ends um you know then then we could have an issue about where does he go after that um Mm -hmm. and that'll obviously be chelsea's problem but i think it makes good sense for by leverkusen just to to try and, and give him that shot um Nothing ventured, nothing gained almost for them. Obviously, there's a loan fee and et cetera that comes with it. But um, in terms of are they getting a good player? Yeah, they are most definitely. And it'll be interesting to see if they can adapt him to their particular style of football, which, as we've said at the moment, looks a little lost. Yeah, um, it's fascinating times at Bayer Leverkusen. Fascinating times in the Bundesliga overall. Uh, Chris, this has been wonderful. Thank you for jumping on. Um, where can people find you? What have you been... I mean, you do the foot mop, obviously. People should check that out. But anything else that you want uh, people to draw people's attention to? I mean, you can always draw it. I mean, I occasionally we'll post 
pictures of food that I eat on Twitter. Um, <laughs> no, in, in all seriousness, um, I'm at Chris78Williams, uh, where you'll find uh, my Bundesliga stuff for FootMob. Um, Champions League stuff's about to come back, cover the Champions League. Um, laws of the game analysis, um, not as a referee done something wrong, because that's not my position to say that, just explanation of laws, etc. And we've already had a lot across the both competitions I cover yep. in the Bundesliga and the Premier League, and I'm sure we'll get it in Champions League as well. Yeah, I always, I always enjoy that part. Um, your refereeing analysis is always fascinating and eye-opening. Um, so yeah, I always point people towards your account whenever they have a question in that regard because I'm just nowhere near as qualified as you are. So um, definitely worth a follow just for that. Uh, as always, the show is brought to you by Bet Online. Um, we're going to have a little bit of a different structure this this week on the newsletter because Stefan is gone. So it's going to be just content by me, but you're going to get two pieces of content from me this week. Um, so keep your eyes out for that. And yeah, we'll be back to our more normal schedule next week. Well, Chris, you'll be back next uh, later this week for the preview show. Excited for that. I am. And yeah, it's going to be fun. Um, see if I can beat you as well as I can beat Stefan. <laughs> My predictions <laughs> a bit trickier, but um, we'll see about that. Um, so yeah, until next time, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.